Hey and fuckers, show notes time. Hanging here with 99 in a very cool studio. Comparably cool. On a normal day, I'd still say this is warm. For like Earth, it's kind of warm. Outside of the studio and the rest of the office, it's cool. In here, it's like skin temperature, room temperature. It's fine. Skin temperature, ew. Should I get rid of this thing in front of us? Well, only is it going to fuck up your videos? Update, we're not recording this on video so there are things blocking us can you feel fine for a second um <laughs> i had a mule her name is sal 15 miles on the erie canal she's a good old worker and okay, a good and old we're pal back. you asked me to fill time i appreciate it this is the first song that came to mind so obviously we had a little break We didn't really tell people we were taking a break. We just sort of did it. We did. Sorry. And here's what's up with that. The research that I'm doing for the socialism series is probably the most that I've done to date. That does not necessarily mean this will be the best work that I've done. (laughs) It just means that it was the steepest learning curve that I had because it's one of those things where it's like you, you start to go down the rabbit hole of one theorist who builds on another theorist, who's obviously inspired by some other theorist. And it's all taking place inside a country that I don't know a whole bunch about. So it's learning about different periods of time, what was on the ground, because what I'm trying to do is really contextualize the philosophies and what the people behind them were experiencing and when, because that's so important to this, because when we, when we look at the evolution of socialism or any ism for that matter, what, what is happening on the ground obviously informs the people behind these movements and how these movements are being perceived by the general public. So when we say that, you know, why can't we have another socialist revolution in this country, in this particular moment? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that the circumstances on the ground are really, you know, ready to have the same type of experience that they've had in the past. French socialism differs from German socialism, from Russian socialism, from uh, English socialism, which is very different from the experience that we had in the United States that we'll cover in an upcoming episode. So trying to tie all of this stuff together means that I really had to go on a deep research dive And because I love this audience and I love this work, I feel like it's really important to obviously get this right and to do the best job that I can to bring it forward. Not to mention the fact that no matter what you decide, no matter what take I have on this, that we decide ultimately to to put out in the final cuts of the episodes, there will be critiques and criticisms that have existed for literally a hundred years of whatever we're going to put forward and multiple critiques at that and critiques that change over time. So it's really layered. It's really nuanced. It's so different than reporting on current events or looking at something that's happening today and trying to provide some historical perspective on it because you're you're going back in time and picking through stuff that's been picked through and picked over literally thousands of times by people that are way more experienced and a lot better at this than I am. So I'm trying to pick off the best parts of it to uh, you know, to put it in a framework that makes a lot of sense within the UNFTR ecosystem of content. And I think it's gonna come out you know, pretty good, but it's just leading to more and more planned episodes down the road because it's obviously such a huge topic. So that's where I'm at with that. One other uh, quick note, there's some Cornell West stuff that's going on uh, that uh, everybody should be looking at. The first is our colleagues over at Newsbeat, including the great Manny Faces, interviewed Dr. Cornell West directly for more than an hour. And it's an it's an amazing interview. They actually teased out some rather newsworthy items in in that interview. So I would encourage everybody to check it out. And at this point, I'm going to ask Manny Faces to interject with uh, how he felt about it, because not Manny's first go around in interviewing Dr. West, and I'd love to hear his perspective on how that went. 
Yeah, thanks, Max. Um, our second time interviewing Dr. Cornell West. First time was in person up at Harvard uh, for an episode of Newsbeat uh, entitled Why We Riot, which was a look at the history of civil uprising and rebellion in the United States. Uh, his voice was featured prominently throughout, and actually that was one of our first award-winning episodes. It was a super dope episode, and it was really something else to to sit there and, and talk with him uh, for such a an extended period of time. This interview, he gave us another extended period of time, over an hour. Uh, originally, he was supposed to get about 30 or 40 minutes. I kind of think he likes us, as you can tell from the interaction. And we do have it on audio. Obviously, we dropped it on this feed and on the Newsbeat feed uh, and also on video on our Newsbeat YouTube channel. So, And as you say, we, we may have pulled a couple of somewhat newsworthy items out of Dr. West. Uh, he mentioned his support for pardoning the likes of Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, etc. Uh, he talked pretty candidly about an agreement uh, with the Bernie Sanders campaign that uh, while he was working with him, he wouldn't go after Barack Obama, for example. Uh, and of course, he's done so uh, several times when not working on the Bernie Sanders campaign. Definitely talked about how he would how he plans to continue speaking truth to power, calling out President Biden when uh, it needs to be done, but also praising him when it warrants it as well. Uh, most importantly, uh, we got his views on extraterrestrial life. <laughs> Seriously, we went there. Uh, so anyway, really wide ranging interview, a little bit of political dodging here and there. So he's learning the game, uh, but it definitely uh, was interesting and informative. And he does like us. So he, uh, he so he gave a lot of himself let's just say in this interview so check it out thank you manny and as a follow-up to that so this this dropped i think the night before show notes and i think the full version might only be available on the patreon but there's a really good chunk of it online right now Bashkar sunkara and brianna joy gray discussed the spoiler effect and the best way forward for the left in its mission to take down the corporate duopoly so this is on the bad faith podcast and on their youtube Brianna leads a really, really refreshing discussion that tackles what has essentially become a central theme of UNFTR, which is do you infect the the Democratic Party from within and take it over, a la Bernie Sanders, or do you attack it from the outside through the auspices of somebody like Cornell West? And they have a very, very intelligent and robust discussion that you really kind of don't find on a lot of other channels. Um, and I think Brianna Gray is just... Um, just a tremendous, tremendous public figure. So, and just every every time I see her interview somebody, or she just gets better and better. And I'm starting to pay a lot more attention to uh, to what she's doing. So that's what I got to say about that. Ninety nine. How we doing? Good. I'm, I'm I'm rusty. I don't know what this thing is in front of me. I know. Uh, so you were away for just a spell, not really like a long, just a, like a like long a week. weekend, right? But you were in Vermont. I was in Vermont, and Vermont is now. Underwater. Yes. Were you close to where the flooding sort actually of, wound up? Yeah, I was in I was in like Burlington area, but I don't think it's that bad there. I think it's like I th I heard Winooski, which is right outside Burlington, isn't doing great. It's also like a really large homeless population. Apparently, they have I think it's like the largest homeless population per capita, but they're one of the states with the lowest people. Interesting. There is just a I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. There was like a a program where they were letting, or I mean, letting sounds weird, but they were allowing homeless people to stay at a motel, I think, like giving them homes or a place to stay. But they just ended that. Mm. And then they like Was gave- Was that a COVID era program? Probably. And then they gave like all the, like literally just like gave them tents and were like, bye. Mm. And now I'm obviously very concerned for the people who don't have a place to live. And then there's this historic flooding. But um, yeah, it's it's not not good. It's so fascinating because we we don't think of those areas. It's like a, a couple of years ago, we had a huge weather event come through New York and we were preparing for it. And I don't know which I think it was a named storm. I can't remember which one it was, but it was coming through New York and it did some damage here. But then the real fallout wound up being upstate New York. Do you remember that? Y yes. Like vaguely, right? Yeah. And. It's just like whatever is happening. You, so you think you're going to escape the effects of climate change and the ravages of, of these extreme weather events. 
by going further inland, maybe a little bit more north, like, oh, hey, let's all move to Canada. It's going to be warmer and everything's going to be better. You, this is inescapable. We are at the tipping point right now. And I think we're seeing that play out all over the country. I was out west a couple of weeks ago with my daughter and you just see, you can feel the effects of the drought everywhere around you. Now, they had enough rain in a short period of time to replenish a lot of the things that they were worried about. And one of our listeners actually writes in and asks about the Colorado River situation, uh, which is, so it's going to be a good time to kind of bring this up. But the net net of this entire thing is that we are just so behind the eight ball. And I don't know if you saw who's, I, oh God, it, it, it escapes me. But on somebody's YouTube, I saw them pull a clip of Obama being interviewed on Hassan Minaj's new show. And he's really taking a lot of a lot of criticism for what he said about kind of negotiating the politics of climate change. Like, you know, we all went into it knowing that, OK, it, maybe we can't hit the two degrees, but if we hit three, that's better than the three and a half. And if, you know, if three and a half meant that, you know, 100 million people across the globe, uh, you know, would perish or wind up, you know, having to relocate or become, you know, refugees and migrants. Well, then maybe we can take that down to just a few million. <laughs> oh, good. And thanks, Obama. And the, yeah, the criticism was like, you know, in his, you know, very middle of the road statecraft compromising mind, that's a win. Yeah. And but when we he was exactly the person that we were all looking to to make a hard shift at the moment that he had the most political capital to be able to do it. And ironically, now Joe Biden has done tenfold what Obama didn't wouldn't do. But we're 12 years on too late mm -hmm. to even do it. Like every minute matters in this. And you and it just you just go back and understand for in through hindsight, like it was never going to happen under Obama think the wheels completely came off under Trump. Now we have so much more to put back in the bag that just doesn't fit. Yeah, I think it's I'm not sure if anyone's ever said this before, but I think it's an inconvenient truth. Can, all right. Maybe we shouldn't release this because I feel like we should probably trademark that before anybody hears it. Yeah. And the sequel. <laughs> inconvenient <laughs> tooth. Inconvenient truther. Oh, yes. Yes. More <laughs> inconvenient. Even more inconvenient truthing. But mine's like T.W. T.H. Like truth, but T.W. Like two. Okay, fuckers. Nobody borrow that. Nobody yeah. Steal that. An ours. inconvenient tooth. Yeah. Now you would. I mean, I mean, hate to you, you go back and try to. I don't know. <laughs> what would have happened if Al Gore became president? We I, would I, have gone to Al War. I feel like. I feel like he was still a classic neoliberal and he was just an extension Probably. of Bill Clinton to the extent that he thought that, you know, the free markets could fix everything in it, you know, like Clinton did. But I mean, we certainly would have had more focus on it, but then there would have been a backlash as they're always and eh, nah, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> World's going to hell. Well, at least it's yeah. sort of cool in here. Yes, it is. That means climate change is not real. Even if we are emitting more because the air conditioning is fixed as a result of it. So mm. our comfort is actually in, in is actually helping to destroy the planet. Mm. Oh well. I will say pre plea plea pre-flooding in Vermont, I uh, was driving on the Taconic like the day before it flooded and it started like not joking monsooning where I, I couldn't, I couldn't see. That's so bad. I was going 20 miles an hour, like so slow. I really thought I was going to die and there's nowhere to pull over. No. So no offense to everyone in Vermont that's suffering. I suffered more. So for anybody that has never driven on the Taconic, <laughs> the Taconic is a, is a, a north south route in New York state that has, for most of it has no shoulder. No shoulder has 90 degree exits, so just proper turns, but off a highway. Literally. No stoplights, there's just nothing there. There might be like the blinking yellow stoplight, like be the like, slow. Hey, yeah, there might be a car here. here yeah. right? Some of it, the most harrowing part is, not only is there no shoulder, you're literally driving adjacent to a giant, just rock. Yeah, mountain. Mountain. Yeah. Where you can't roll your window down and put your arm out of the car. You're that close to the mountain. And it's the most narrow road you'll ever drive. It's a two lane road for most of it. So yep. it's three when you get to the top and the bottom. And the rule is <laughs> you have to drive 20 miles over whatever limit feels already preposterous. <laughs> Everybody speeds on the Taconic. It is it's like a video game. I can't do it. 
I sort of, I was like, I drove it both ways because it was my car and I was like, I don't want anyone else driving my car on the Taconic. I feel like it's my responsibility to keep us alive and I don't trust anyone else to drive my car on the Taconic. Yeah. It's like putting the the Autobahn inside like a, a toilet paper tube and then just like, and then having random cars be thrown out at in front of you at any given moment. Yeah. You're driving up a mountain with a very low guardrail. Yes. That's really what it is. And then at a monsoon, I'm calling it a monsoon. It, it was... The road was flooding. There was like a flash flood warning. Yeah, nowhere for it to go. Sure. And I couldn't, there was nowhere to pull over. Mm -hmm. So I just, plus we had Henry in the car and I was like, I don't want him. Oh, you should have thrown him out. No. Just throw him out the back. That's my baby boy. No, I know. I'm sorry. It was awful. I'm sorry. But I I survived it. I should get a t-shirt. Thank goodness. I survived the Taconic in a monsoon. I think that every time you drive in the the Taconic, if you have any like easy pass things, they should wipe it. As like a get out of jail free. Yeah, good job. Like whatever tolls, like it's okay. You drove this road. Yes, yeah, like collecting gold coins yeah. on, the, uh, on the video game. Yes. Mm-hmm. The video game. Mm-hmm. Sonic? Subway Surfer. Oh, okay. That's what I was thinking of. Sure. Like it's the only one. Okay. It's the closest, most relevant reference I have. Uh, on another trip that I was on, by the way, this Jet was center. a quick in and out to see my best friend uh, who lives in Chicago. But I, I touched down... In the middle of the anime convention. Oh, yes. And that was. We have anime fasc- fans. So I know. Can't, I know. That's know. why I'm, I'm mentioning it. I was fascinated by the just the sheer size of it. Obviously, the number of people walking around dressed in costumes of characters that I had no idea who they were. A lot of pink hair. I'll mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Lots of pink hair. That's very big. Pink bobs. Okay. That must be a specific character. Don't know. But lots Did you of see that. any of the the black robe and like the long white face? Like scream? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Honestly, no, but yes. Did no. anyone look like that? Well, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of it's a person black from, robe. I don't know if they're stuff. a person actually. Uh, it's from Spirited Away. But I was looking for something, anything I could recognize. I'm like, is the Walking Dead universe going to be here? Is this any? Is there any Comic Con no. overlap? The answer is no. It was wild. So for all the unfucking anime fans out there, if you were at the convention and you <laughs> saw somebody in the adjacent hotel walking around completely mesmerized and and out of character, that was me. It was amazing. Have you ever been in the city during Comic-Con? I've No. Really? No, I haven't even been to SantaCon. I just won't go for any well, like I'm big, not saying like, event. have you gone? Like, you must no, have. No, I've like, I'm the only. I guess no. they probably didn't do New York Comic-Con when you lived in the city. Mm-mm. Um, I Santa feel like Comic Con came much later. I mean, I was out of the city a long time ago. Yeah, I don't know how they've maybe been doing it in New York for like 15, 20 years. Yeah, I was. Which yeah. you've already. You were I'm gone here. by then. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's like it's a lot. It's intense. you know because it's at the Javits Center, so like then every train, you know, whatever train station, Grand Central, Penn, all the subways are filled with people and like really big costumes. And then they expanded out and they started doing, it used to just be at the Javits Center, but now they do stuff at like the Hammerstein, at the small theater, at the garden. Mm. So like they're everywhere. <laughs> like it's not just Javits. It's it's uptown, midtown, wherever you are. But that would be shit I recognize, right? I'd see yeah, some you definitely, you'd see Marvel like, shit, right? Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's the, there's there's anime crossover there, but it, it is funny to be up there on that day, especially if you forget it's happening. You just happen to be there for a day. Like when I worked in the city, I don't think I might have gone. I went to Comic Con. I think two or three times. I didn't dress up to it. To it. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I didn't do. Maybe I think I only Why? went twice. What, what would you have gone for? Uh, X Files. Um, oh. I liked Marvel. I mean, I like it. I'm not. Uh, I definitely. I think. It's, who are you waiting online to see at a booth? Who did I? I didn't. I didn't meet anybody at booths like, today. Who would you wait online? Oh, for? David Duchovny in a heartbeat. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Are you okay. kidding me? Yeah, I saw David. I saw the X Files panel because it was the year after they did the reboot, I believe, or not the reboot. The continuation. Do they get along or do they not? It, uh, TBD. I think that my personal theory is that they're secretly in love. It's not true, but I wish it was. <laughs> they have too much sexual tension, like in interviews, to not. I think they probably have just known each other for so long. They probably hate each other, but they love each other. Mm. It seems like. 
Gillian Anderson doesn't get along with Chris Carter, the creator, though. Because like I remember at the panel, he said something about like another season and she was like, we'll see. <laughs> I was like, ooh, Damn. you know, but she's busy. She's booked and busy. Is she? Yeah. She works a lot. She's in that Netflix like show Sex Education mm. that I think is in its last season. And I think she was in The Crown. Like, Didn't see it either. I wasn't she Thatcher? <laughs> I think she was. Was she? I think so. Oh. Maybe I didn't watch her. it, but yeah, um, definitely that I saw I'm trying to think of. Oh, I saw they did a, a Hey Arnold movie, like a final movie. And I saw the, a panel with all the original voice actors of Hey Arnold. That one was really cool. Mm. That was one of the coolest ones I went to. And I saw one for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Huh? Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I, I would know. go see. The, oh, I, I saw would an go Archer the panel, Dead. too. Archer. Archer, like uh, H. John Benjamin. Uh, Never got into it. On I was FX. thinking Arliss. That's how old I am. <laughs> I mean, really? I did used to watch Arliss with my dad, <laughs> but like it was not an Arliss battle. Wait, Arliss is at Comic Con? <laughs> I have to go. Honestly, it wouldn't. Sh- Comic Con is now just <laughs> pop culture con. You know, yeah. it's not comics specifically anymore. So mm. you could go for that. They ruined it. Oh, I would love to go. I'd love to see a Buffy. I would wait online for a Buffy panel. Fair. 100%. Okay. Hundy. Hundy percent. And depending on the Doctor Who iteration, like maybe. But it just, it gave, it was a little too crowd. There was too much crowd for me after a while. But yeah, but on a, back to what I was saying, on a day you forget it's there. You're like, ah, Mm -hmm. what are these people doing here? Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. I like that, you know, I like where people can just dress up unabashed, go wherever they want, do whatever they want. Just talking. I I found it fascinating, like being in the hotel walking past them and them just acting like they weren't <laughs> the way they were just talking to their normal. friends and just being like hey what's up can I get and like going and ordering a coffee <laughs> some bizarre I don't know the hotel people are so used to that though transient w- whatever crowds yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. when the Taylor Swift concerts in town yeah everyone's wearing a sparkly dress and then like whatever this comes to town and then if it's Luke Bryan everyone's wearing Daisy Dukes and cowboy boots everyone's wearing their own books by hoteliers there really should Hmm. you know because they've seen everything that's true there's probably not as much fun I I can't imagine that they're like those storied characters of people who are like this is my career you know like people who because like you're not going to work at the front desk for your whole life you'll probably like move up like in corporate so you yeah. probably only have like a few years of good stories the but way things work these days. A, like a Bourdain equivalent from the hotel industry that's seen that's just got yeah. those stories to tell. Paris Hilton's dad. <laughs> yeah, if, if they'd tell it, right? I think he would. Yeah. Paris will tell it. I'm sure. She'll tell all. Sure. I think that was literally her thing. Paris tells all. All right, let's get into headlines here and get rocking and rolling. <laughs> we had to have some sort of nonsense conversation. Yeah, no. It's show notes. We've, yeah. We've, and, and I've missed you. I missed you too. I missed being together here. Yeah, it's been like three weeks. It's been a minute. So we got stuff to catch up on. So here we go. Headlines for this week. We've got three. The first is from The Intercept. And the headline is, judges keep ruling that anti-trans healthcare bans make shitty law. The GOP isn't giving up. So this is from, you know, I like uh, Natasha Leonard's work a lot. And this is uh, from Natasha. Following the relentless GOP campaign to pass anti-trans legislation, despite losing at almost every level so far in court. So here's a quote from the article, quote, the Supreme Court's recent decision in favor of religious convictions and against gay rights is hardly encouraging. And the Dobbs ruling underlined the conservative majority's willingness to see the criminalization of established necessary medical practices that enable bodily autonomy. So uh, it's a really great article because she's basically making the case that like right now the courts are upholding, as she says, necessary medical practices. So you're talking about, again, trans people of age that have the the means and the uh, the need to take. Well, it's, so this doesn't even talk about surgery. A lot of what the legislation is trying to ban is like. What do you call the, the the medication that blocks hormone replacement the, therapy or puberty you. blockers? The puberty blockers and all the, those types of therapies, like yeah, that's those are non-surgical. That's where they're starting, and they're kind of pinning their hopes that they're going to be able to create enough casework that it keeps go- going further up and further up because that's like so low down on the threshold. It's kind of a big swing if you think about attacking that first in the courts. It's a huge swing because if they can get one of the bigger courts 
to, you know, to uphold it at any level, even if they don't, as long as they keep taking it up and the other courts keep accepting the cases, the hope is that they'll eventually be able to get it in front of the Supreme Court and that they'll and that this is the time to strike at this particular Supreme Court with this composition right now. So it's a huge gamble that's obviously funded by all the same usual suspects that are funding this type of these type of cases. The, the bottom line is they keep losing, even in the cases that we've been following at the lower courts, but they get passed up and then eventually in front of the Supreme Court. And that's where they're having the most luck. So it's like the, the reason that the GOP isn't isn't deterred by the losses in court is because they know they just have to keep going. And eventually this stuff, if they can prove that they're that they somehow have standing, which this court seems to be allowing in almost every single case, um, that they'll be able to get it in front of the only court that fucking matters. And that is the Supreme Court. So devastating stuff. It's just a scary time. It really is. And there's there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of of, of great work being done on this. I like following The Intercept and I happen to love Natasha Leonard. So it brings together a few things, but by no means is like The Intercept, even like the uh, the paper of record for this type of work. Uh, but she does a really good job in particular. And, I, and she has such a deep understanding of not only politics, but the court system. And so she's just somebody that I think everybody should follow. In our day jobs, we brought in a speaker to talk about things like this. Um, and it was just really amazing to hear like from a trans person and to have them tell us why this is happening, how we can help. And I don't know, just like really open my eyes to because we don't we don't we just talk about it in our little echo did chamber. Learn? I did. I definitely I mean, like, I don't think I heard anything that was brand new to me personally, but like hearing it all together, mm. um, there was one stat that was like, it was talking about the amount of people who quote unquote regret transitioning or starting a transition. And it's like less than 1% or something. And then our speaker said, um, people who regret having like knee replacement surgery is like 17% <laughs> of people. So it's like when you think about it that way, like, uh, okay, so if like less than 1% of people, like, yeah, there's going to be a margin of people who, you know, maybe act hastily. Like that's in all of life. Everyone's going to act hastily sometimes. So like statistically everything will exist and happen but yeah. you know like statistically there is some parent out there forcing on their kid but it's not it's so small of a margin they just focus on these little fucking things but if if you're in a place at your company to like bring something like that in i recommend it you know what the the hell of this whole thing is and i'm i'm gonna say this in a really clumsy way that hopefully you'll be able to put back in uh like an acceptable way of saying this okay okay when you talk about percentages, the percentage of people that want to transition and do ultimately transition is so low compared to the amount of attention that this gets. So that's just, a, I think, a, a fair statement of fact. That's not saying whether you're for it or against it. It's just a remarkably low percentage of people. Those people have the agency in this discussion and the support of virtually the entire medical community both mental and physical medical community to say that these what we've established over the past several decades about this phenomenon is viable and produces better mental health and physical outcomes for the people that are willing to do you said, it. It's not like you said fiscal. I'm just clearing physical and <laughs> yeah, mental right, outcomes, physical. right? So it's a good practice. It's a solid practice. Yes, they on, stand by it. Right. They stand by it in that community, in the medical community, rather. So the hell of it is the amount of attention that the that the right has brought to bear on this issue requires the same in return to dispel the myths they're putting out there. Otherwise, they will own the entire conversation in the general media landscape. So because it's such a small fraction of the population, it will naturally be widely unknown or misunderstood and the person that takes control of the narrative will win the narrative this is the heart of propaganda watching this in real time is so instructive i think for us as a society to understand how things get propagandized so you have something that's very marginal in terms of sheer numbers that gets an outsized play in the media because one side of an issue 
takes control of the narrative, which necessitates the other side to put together a counter narrative, which then in totality makes it look like it's the only thing that's fucking happening in the world. Mm -hmm. So the, the upside of being vocal about this and supportive of it is that you are helping to prevent a false narrative from taking root. The downside is you are further amplifying something that should be handled privately with medical professionals and with the most amount of care. And you're taking it in and putting it into such a wide open field that then you're leaving it to the general public that as we know, and we've talked about often, is busy, uninterested, and fucking stressed out. And I've seen this in my own life where you have this conversation with people that you would think would normally be inclined to be supportive of something like this. And they get so overwhelmed with information that they really weren't interested in learning that they're just like, fuck it. I think that it's just, it's just all stupid. And then they wind up being dismissive of it. And in that case, the right wing wins. And, and it's just, it's so, so I'm not saying anything groundbreaking except to say that like, we have no choice but to fight the fight and beat back the countervailing measures, the countervailing narratives, even though you are further amplifying something that will confuse the general public. It's just it's a it's a rock in a hard place. And it just demonstrates how fucking evil the right wing is by picking on this issue in particular. They are it. It's the grossest example that I can find today of manipulative propagandizing in order to move your attention away from everything else. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think anything needs to be reclarified. I just don't want it to sound like I'm saying, no, like, no. we shouldn't talk as much about no, this. No, I think we've had it's this like conversation before. I think we've gotten to the, uh, debate's a strong word, but like, if you've, I think you've previously phrased it, like, we need to be paying attention to the, quote, real issues. And I'm like, it is a real issue, but what you mean is like, they're manufacturing this as an issue, but like we have war crimes that are happening, yeah. like or like climate change. So you know, I feel it shouldn't be an issue. Is the thing like that's what it? I you know think that's what you're saying. Like we should just accept trans people and let them receive the gender affirming care, and we should all learn about trans people. Like it should be part of our culture, and we should be taught as children. Like some people have two mommies, some people have two daddies, some people have a parent that doesn't identify as something, some people have a parent that is transgender. This is what that means. Like we should be taught these things from a young age. So it's just part of our society, like anything right. else shouldn't have to be an issue. Like banning abortion is one thing because not that that's right. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Like I can understand that we have such a plague of evangelical evangelism <laughs> took me a minute there in our government that I can understand why that happened. There's there's nothing about this. This is nowhere, you know, neither is abortion. But like you've made up in your heads that not getting abortions in the Bible. Fine. <laughs> I get right. that you believe that this is a new thing that you're deciding is wrong. For what? For why? Like it just why? <laughs> and, it, and I do believe that it is to obscure it's it, it's a it's a it's a head fake. I think that they know that some, enough people will see it in that evangelical and this isn't normal lens that they can that they can gather their you know that they can steal their thoughts. We have only so much room for so many thoughts in our heads, and they're stealing our thoughts, and and by doing so and by picking on the like the least among us again, you know, it's just. Ron DeSantis is like literally trying to eradicate gay people. And we're not even talking about that as much because right. like this is a bigger issue because I, well, I think a lot of states have have gone even further than what he has been able to accomplish. It's just he's got the winning platform. That's right true. Now, right. Our speaker said but something. It, but it does scare me that I don't know. Like every time I read about a state that's passed like a really virulent anti-trans, anti-gay, anti-anything law, I'm like. Jesus, how did I fucking miss this? Like now it's so much that I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And Sorry, plus, keep no, no. Well, it's keeping up with the process of like what's proposed, what's passed, what's being voted on. It's like I can't I don't know all the ins and outs of like, you know, state government and what needs to pass there. So it's like, you know, a bill can be proposed and then I hear about it and then I don't hear about it again. I don't know if it's passed. You know, did it die? Whatever. So like that's even another thing to keep up with. 
I'm sure like the human rights campaign has a tracker. I'm sure on their website, I'll have to look. So, but yeah, our speaker said something. I can't remember which state. Something is telling me Ohio, but I might, I might not be right about that. Where he said they passed a law or something about trans women or trans girls, I suppose, can't compete on sports teams. So saying that like, you know, trans people aren't allowed to compete on sports teams. And they looked into how many trans people were (laughs) competing on sports teams and it was none. They didn't even check before passing this. So they just did it out of propaganda and hype. But it's like, it's not even a problem, quote unquote, problem in their state. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Where do we go from there in in the world? Like every time. Where we go from there is into into climate change because the the next article is... Uh, and you can clearly tell that I'm I'm asking people to sign up for uh, this particular Substack. This is from again Michael Grunwald. He was the author of the New New Deal, but uh, he really started out, uh, or he's really made a name for himself as a climate reporter and writer. Uh, so the title of his Substack is called Emissions, and his latest piece is The Food Problem Is Bigger Than Lettuce. So his latest piece on Substack is about the failure of vertical farming. So I've really found this fascinating because it's one of those, it's been framed as one of those great hopes for the future in how we can kind of contain and manufacture vegetation. So he makes both a practical and economic case though for why the dream is not being fully realized. So here's from the piece. Vertical farms are not technologies, they're farms. They're manufacturing facilities that deliver physical products to brick and mortar grocery stores They don't make digital software that they can distribute around the world at no cost with a click. That's why it's crazy that so many exuberant investors gave them tech valuations, and that's why those valuations have crashed. I'm way more bullish on alternative proteins, but I think this explains the collapse of Beyond Meat's stock at two. It's a food company that was valued as a tech company. It makes atoms, not electrons, end quote. So what I really appreciated about this is that you see in... In our industrial capitalist economy, globally, we are looking for solutions to climate. And and you'll hear this as a talking point from most agencies, organizations, and governments that are claiming to be participating actively in slowing the increase of the temperature of the planet. They say that we believe that through investment and technology, we'll be able to figure this out as we race towards a carbon neutral, a net neutral future by 2030, by 2050, whatever your proposed future date is. And what Michael is teasing out here is that all sounds really great, but capitalist intervention by definition, he's not saying it in this way, but this is the way I'm interpreting it through, you know, especially in the series that we're doing right now capitalist intervention where there must be a profit motive and where you have to get the capital of public markets involved and private markets involved means that you you need two things. You need it to work to be a, a valuable investment, but you need a profit. You have to have a return on investment. And what happens when we value these things as these so-called tech companies that will have this great ROI and then they don't produce Well, they're still producing food and that's a good thing, but they're not producing the investment return, which means they're not gonna get the capital that's required, which means they're not ultimately going to find the best innovative solution to minimize the amount of energy that they they utilize to produce what they're putting out. And they're not gonna be able to sustainably uh, replicate these efforts all over the place. So when you try to build a life and human and planet saving saving endeavor within a capitalist infrastructure, it will almost every time by definition fall in on itself, which is why you need centralized public planning in order to be able to do this where there is no profit motive and you do not require the capital of private markets. We have the fucking money to get this done. The other thing he talks about in the article, though, that was kind of revelatory to me is that the vertical farms are also failing because they are huge energy suckers because they are a technology solution to a manufacturing problem that they produce at, they require an enormous amount of energy and when he's talking about the vertical farm seems like a really great idea but it lacks the input from the best energy source that food requires and that's the sun mm-hmm. which requires a lot of space 
that gets you into the conversation of biodiversity. What are we using our farmland for? What are we using our space for? Well, right now we're using it for animal protein and we're using it for non-diverse crops such that we can use for things like ethanol. It's all madness and it cannot be solved through the capital markets because if you have a field and you have subsidies from the government and you have demand in the marketplace for something like ethanol versus corn that people are going to eat, you're gonna sell it to the to the producer that's giving you subsidies for the alternative fuel all day fucking every day because you need a profit in order to justify your existence. That's why we need centrally planned energy and centrally planned agriculture in order to meet the demands of the future if we even want a population to feed. Good stuff. Yeah, we're heading into a weird time with food tech. Yeah. Which shouldn't really even be a phrase, but. But I was excited to see that he was talking about the, the about animal proteins and being bullish on that because at least despite the valuations, there seems to be more of an I guess an upside to not having that many fucking, you know, living organisms, you know, to, to keep into slaughter. Yeah. And I mean, also, like, there's Beyond has a direct competitor, so it wouldn't shock me. I like I'd like to see a comparison to Impossible. Maybe one of them is just truly outperforming. And then there is a new food plant based company or just they're not even plant based anymore. Like some companies don't call There's so many different phrases that, you know, everyone picks their own. But like there's a new one every day. I follow a newsletter um, about it and it's like I can't keep up. And some of them are. Do you think there's a lot of greenwashing in that in that industry? I'm sure. But because it is such an endeavor, I have to imagine it's almost not worth it. Because you're a lot of these people are like starting from scratch. Like they might have are like a new. Are they getting investments and subsidies though? Are they getting small, private investments you know, there's and government some, subsidies? I I don't know about government, but there are definitely like some specific VCs that like fund these things or you know trial companies that are just like testing out. But um, I'd have to do a little more research into it. I feel like it's easier to greenwash. It'd be easier for like Purdue to greenwash than it is uh, yeah, for yeah. like a brand new you know plant based meat company to greenwash because right. it's like. Is it greenwashing if you just kind of start? I don't know. But we're heading into a weird time because of the cell-based meat that is just was approved, I suppose. Have you heard about this? No. It's the first meat. It's grown. It's actual animal grown from cells. So now we've created meat, in quotes, from an animal without the animal. How do you feel about that? Is there an ethical conversation that needs to be had here? Um... I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking, I suppose on the chain, on the the spectrum of ethics, I would prefer if my personal ethics, let's take it from that way. So I'm not speaking for everybody. I would prefer you eat this fake Some real meat because it's not, you know, how many animals had to die for the, the research and all of that. Like, I'm sure there's a lot to look into there, but it's not something I would eat like I'm to me it's still eating something derived from an animal I don't want that uh, for, you're you're speaking from an ethical perspective not a um, uh, a physicality perspective like a health perspective yes I'm speaking for from for both for, I mean for your reasons of being vegan for example yes. you're speaking from a sociological like yeah for me we're still eating animals and we really we should be uh, I understand the necessity of it from a, a, a climate perspective, yeah. a quote unquote necessity. If we're going to, most of our culture is not going to stop eating meat. So I understand the necessity to lower our emissions by moving this way. I would prefer we just like stop eating animals, no matter if they came from the animal or they came from the cells. It's still the animal. Why, why do we need to eat animals? What I like about it on the surface is it feels to me like your generation, I think, was the first to to really vote with your wallets in terms of like the diamond industry, as an example, to say that I don't want that blood diamond. I want a manufactured diamond. I still like the whole pomp and circumstance and the, and the you know, the sort of like the cultural meaning behind it. But I refuse to buy a diamond that was mine that could have killed children. Yours was the first generation really to actually make that happen, even though my generation knew about it. Mm -hmm. 
if this is the same type of like phenomenon where your generation is the is the beginning and Gen Z is the beginning of like, oh sure, but where did that meat come from? Great, I'll have the other one even if it's a dollar more. You know, in, as the economics begin to work out. Yeah, I guess on perhaps. that sliding ethical scale that you're talking about, that's a good thing because I can see Gen Z and your generation opting for that. Were it a wide option? Maybe as an inter, you know, an intermediate step to get people to just fucking put, stop with the, the amount of sheer amount of animal protein that we ingest, which is also no good for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we really need to have the, the conversation from a health perspective. Like that's what will resonate you know, with people more. Yeah. We shouldn't, it is not a secret. We shouldn't be drinking milk. <laughs> like we know that milk is bad for us. I don't care what big milk, big dairy says. <laughs> It does not help osteoporosis. It will cause it. It is bad for you. That is the science. Someone can fight me on it. I'm not going to fight back because it's true. Meat is bad for you in a lot of ways. Not saying all meat all the time, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, let's have that conversation. And let's also like, for me, let's stop and think about why do we need this so badly? And also like, why still, why do we feel so fucking superior that it's like we must eat the lesser creature? It's like, aren't we an evolved society? You, you can't, when, when you talk about people, when you think about people who are like, I could never give up meat. Like, you kind of sound silly. Really, you could never give that up? Yeah, You're so yeah, dependent you on it, you know? Of course, of course. And like, you feel so strongly that the cow needs to be eaten that you'll just say, fuck all else and fuck the planet and all this shit. See, so we know it can be done because there's other cultures that even still to this day exist without that input. And at the same time, the smell of bacon is disgusting. So, is just the best. There's so much, there's a cultural aspect that is I feel like it's going to be even more difficult to take out. They've just done such a good job of building these eggs. When you talk about big milk, like, you know, milk that does a body good, actually, it does the exact opposite. That's amazing. That's one of the best pieces of, of propaganda, corporate propaganda, maybe ever, right? The idea- And they're of, still doing it. Of, of the farm life and raising protein and eating that protein as being, you know, good for you, better for you and gathering around a meal and all oh, the smell that comes from this and the marbling of the meat. And that we're so culturally obsessed with food in that way that it's undoing it is like it's like such a Herculean effort. So I like the fact that I think it does start with How's, how does, it, we're all individual creatures at the end of the day. Like, how does this affect you? Well, you're killing yourself. Did that argument work for cigarettes? Not really. Did that argument work for, you know, red meat when people know about? Not really. So it's like, that's a piece of the puzzle. But again, I still come back to like, nothing will change unless we have a central planning mechanism that says, here's the limit of protein in this year that we're gonna be able to produce. And these are the practices that are now outlawed. And then we can begin to change over how we eat. And the, what, do, what do we say in the, I think in the veganism episode, it was something the, the, the author of the book was making the argument that, uh, I think it was Mark Bittman was making the argument that like, we have to completely reverse understanding that animal proteins are here if we wanted to hit our climate initiatives by 2050, the best thing and most important thing we could do is reverse the order of it. So if it's 80% of the farmland proper goes towards either raising or feeding and supporting animal proteins, mm -hmm. then that needs to be biodiverse agriculture, plant-based diet, and only 20% of that for animal proteins. And the only way to do that is to legislate it. There's just no other in a capitalist system, there's no other way that we could possibly manufacture that outcome if it wasn't through legislation. It's like we have to take this multi-pronged approach of like, also it's killing you and it's killing the planet and these companies are doing X, Y, Z and they're exploiting labor in the process to do it. And we have to put more power in the hands of citizens to be able to feed themselves and blah, blah, blah. It's like- Or take it from a capitalist approach of like the people who have done a 180. There are farms, there are companies out there who used to- sell meat or like raise cows and they do the opposite now you know like i mean obviously it's not like a incomplete 180 where they're like we have almond farm now like, not like that but 
who engage in, in different practices because their businesses are failing. The farming industry is not doing great. <laughs> like it's not. So kind of read the room, be part of the change and don't be the one left behind. Don't be like, you know, the leftover of yesteryear. Mm -hmm. You could be part of the future and part of progress and actually maybe do something revolutionary or at least helpful in your community. I mean, there are so many options out there. Like I really do think impossible and beyond whatever the repercussions financially and the ROI, like I guarantee you, if I got a really good fucking chef to cook you an impossible burger, you would not know the difference. Probably. You know, me grilling it. I don't know that maybe I'm not a grill master myself, but there are things that are, that are so easy to replace. Just, just. I want to talk to you about grilling techniques so badly, but I won't. Um, I don't even have a grill. I live in a building. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what am I going to grill on our roof? You get a, a Weber charcoal grill up there. So I say it is so much part of our culture. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, think about like half of our, our federal holidays are just excuses to drink and barbecue. Yeah. Memorial Day, Labor Day, 4th of July, Veterans Day. Like those are all like get off work, have a barbecue parties. Mm -hmm. That's fucked up. Yeah. And also, no wonder they're all aligned with patriotism. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Just saying, patriotism is going to be downfall of our country. Our <laughs> last. We just have to end this here. <laughs> We've been talking for four hours. Yeah. Well, our last headline. <laughs> I meant the <this> show. <laughs> is uh, going to be from Current Affairs Magazine. And then I think we should uh, take a break and we'll schedule part two of show notes. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So our last headline is from Current Affairs Magazine. Nathan Robinson interviews comedian and author Danny Catch about his new book, Socialism. Seriously. That's the name of the book, Socialism, dot, 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 seriously. Robinson is no stranger to the subject, having written a book of his own on socialism, by the way. So the two have a really great uh, back and forth filled with some really wonderful insights into the modern interpretations of socialism and the alignment between present day and the period in which, in which Marx was most productive. And here's a snippet from the interview. This is uh, Catch speaking, quote, I also think there's the question of to what degree is socialism going to be able to take the expansive capacities of capitalism and finally make this more rational by making it democratic and putting it under collective control. That is still somewhat true, but also that in the age of capitalism, many technological developments happen. There are libertarians who act like socialists don't get to then build on those achievements that we have to return them to the checkout counter of history as if like that's ever happened. All stages of history build on each other, end quote. It's such a great interview. Two great minds talking about socialism in the current context. Check it out if you get a chance. And uh, obviously, we will promote uh, Danny Ketch's book, Socialism, seriously. And also check out Nathan Robinson's work. So that is uh, the end of headlines and the very beginning of the show. You could tell that we uh, have missed each other and missed uh, talking to each other. So why don't we close this one out and then um, we will take a quick break and uh, drop this, maybe drop part two, maybe the next day. Sure. So sounds good for now. We'll see you later. Bye.